firm and unwavering when we say Black Lives Matter. Welcome to the Truth to Power Show and Ready for Brooklyn. I'm your host, VJR Nathan, and with today's co-host, Scott Raven. Welcome, Scott. Hey there, VJ. Hey, welcome, welcome. So our special guest is James Bird, who is a 27-year-old musician, writer, and meditation facilitator living in Pioneer Valley in Massachusetts. Um, he writes myth- mythic music that invo- invites the mystical out of the ordinary, welcoming us to... Um, into the colorful and complex nature of our lives. James spent most of his time musing about the mysteries of the universe. Welcome, James. Hello. So happy to be here. Thank nice. you. Thank All you. All right. Good to have you here, James. Uh, I was just, you know, playing around with, with our names at the top of uh, this show right here. We got a Scott Raven, we got a VJ, <laughs> and we got a James Bird. Uh, <laughs> You, you know, having your kind of connection of nature that you do, is there is there a bird in particular that, that you feel maybe an affinity to or, or some sort of connection to, uh, having had that name through through your life? I love that. Um, yeah, I feel like the, the crow has always been a friend of mine. Um, I, I just feel like they're so, they, they emanate this kind of mystery and them and probably a hummingbird too. There's ah. something really beautiful about the the way that they always know where the nectar is, it seems. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. yeah. So tell us a bit about your music and how, we're going to be listening to some of your music a little later on, but tell us some of the themes and um, ideas or, or concepts that you play with in your music. Yeah, so, yeah, so I, I love to kind of play with mythology. Um, I just feel like mythology has so much uh, to give to us in these very important themes of life and death and mystery and truth. And in my music, I try to walk us through uh, the, the journey of myth. It's one thing to read a story and kind of get the, the, the nectar out of that, but it's another thing to try and walk someone through the, the psychological uh yeah, the, the, the psychological shifting that happens when you really walk someone into a myth. Um, so a myth I love to play with a lot is the myth of Inanna, who descended down to the underworld um, and then rose back up again. This is one of the most ancient themes we see in mythology of death and rebirth. So a lot of my music is about death and re- rebirth and this leaning into the cycles of life as something not to shy away from, but something to like to come alive into and to accept with a kind of beauty and mystery. Um, And yeah, I, I just, I feel like myth can really show us a way um, into these troubling times and, and into ourselves. And so all, all of my music is a, uh, prayer in a way and kind of a, a spell in a way too to walk us through the labyrinth of our psyches um, which are inherited in a lot of ways by people that we don't know um, and so yeah I, I try to create music that helps us out of the labyrinth and can kind of be that thread that we follow through the dark to um, help us to remember our ourselves and and who we are yeah, yeah, it's really, it's really great. And I, I, I'm curious about like, um, 
what specific uh, philosophies or philosophical systems did you were influencing you growing up, and 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 now, um, you know, kind of what kind of um, yeah, what kind of religious traditions did you grow up in, and and what kind of influenced you as you were growing into your adulthood? Yeah, when I was growing up, um, I was surrounded by uh, Christianity, but I I never really felt an affinity with it. Like it, it never really spoke to me, um, and. But I, you know, that, you know, that whole space has a very similar myth as well of the, the death and rebirth. And I think I was always most interested in that growing up. But as something that I could like thread through my life and walk with in this life, it, it never spoke to me. So I, but I think that was part of my path, which was to be told that this is the truth and then to feel, but wait, I don't know if that's my truth. So I feel like it's my journey has been trying to unpack like what is resonant in my being and what is true for for me and um i feel like i i spent many years with like kind of just pondering questions and then it all kind of came in one big wallop when i was taking a gap year from uh before going to college and it was in that time that i really feel like i uncovered what i feel about things and kind of was able to start putting names and, and feelings and and I, I find that my my spirituality my belief system is is a a, a mosaic of things um, from from some traditions but also from things that I just feel are real in me and, and kind of things that I ponder about daily and and um, yeah feel very deeply but there's definitely a lot of threads from other traditions as well that feel very resonant to me right yeah yeah you had spoken a little bit about uh, your monk boy uh phase uh <laughs> and would love to hear i guess yeah a little, a little bit more of uh, that and you know and you know you're, you're leading into kind of talking a little bit about your your gap year and uh mm-hmm. I, I imagine that was you know from being with an institution kind of being you know around others around uh, teachers students uh and then mm-hmm. was this gap year uh, solitude or or was there interaction yeah. with 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 others uh yeah could you talk a little on that for us yeah, it was definitely a lot of solitude. Um, I spent most of my time in a in a park, and I would sit on this bench, and I would show up every day and just kind of be there for a few hours and play music and uh, write. And I kind of call it, yeah, it was kind of like a madman phase, honestly. I, I really was embodying that kind of like crazy writer archetype, I feel like, and it was the first time I'd ever been alone in the sense where I didn't have people around me confirming who I was all the time. You know, like when we live in spaces, there are people that call our name and interact with us and we kind of embody the costume of, of who we are. And I feel like I didn't have that. So I had to like really kind of validate for myself, like, who am I and what is this all about in my mind and in my being? You know, when, when you are the only echo you hear, I think you really find something really special. Um, it's like you kind of can finally hear your best friend inside yourself and, mm. and see yourself truly. And, um, yeah, and then the, the monk boy phase happened after college, so I kind of got sandwiched with these two thresholds of sorts. And the whole monk boy phase, I, I speak of it lovingly, but it was very intense. I, <laughs> I, I, I just, I very much took to these scriptures, um, mostly from the Hindu tradition and, and the Buddhist tradition, which are beautiful and lovely. And, but I definitely misread them and like kind of misinterpreted them and 
the way that I felt that they told me to live my life was to harden and step away from life and that life was something to transcend and the physical world is this like place that we're all condemned to because of our karma and it's all about like leaving earth and transcending and ascending and um the body isn't me the body is something to uh not listen to and i I need to like stop my desires and urges and enlightenment is about leaving all these things behind and so i lived that way for two years very deeply i was celibate and um yeah, I just like feelings would arise and I would immediately push them down because I wanted to be balanced. And, you know, I thought that anger was a negative, quote unquote, negative emotion and that these emotions were bad. Um, so what ended up happening is I, I definitely went through this kind of schism. I I'll, There was a, a defining moment where I saw one of my friends cry and I watched the tear like roll down their cheek and but I felt like a mountain, like watching longingly, like the humanity that we all share. And I felt so outside of it and it scared the crap out of me. I was like, what have I done to myself that I cannot just cry, that I can't truly embody my feelings and on the drop of a hat, just express myself. And so that was kind of the tipping point where I realized, okay, I clearly need to step back from this stuff and walk myself out of the labyrinth I walked myself into and and maybe try and go the opposite way, like maybe revel in life and my feelings and my desires and my, what is real. And and it took me many years to like unprogram all the programming I did and all of the hesitation around authentically expressing my feelings and feeling my feelings, which is the biggest one. I I stopped feeling all my feelings. Right. Um, yeah. So it's been great. That, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I was yeah struck by when you're making kind of that that transition out of out of that. Uh, I don't know if mm. we call it you know the pushing of down. If it does, mm. if there, if it comes out the other way in excess, whether you switch from a place mm. of uh, no desire to a place of hedonism, or are you <laughs> recognizing that it's all right? It is kind of like a gradual uh, letting in of of different different emotions and and feelings Mm, yeah for i could totally see that as being the reality of it because it only makes sense um and for me i think it was interesting because i had to like teach myself to have desires again which is weird like i couldn't operate out of my own autonomy it felt like because i had told myself that my autonomy was wrong and like my desires were wrong so it took me a long time to like have desires again. And I, I feel like I was just kind of always pulled around by life and not really stepping into what I want. And even now, I mean, this is years later and that's like still something I'm deprogramming from that time in my life, you know, to to really step into my my desire of what I want my life to look like and how I want to interact with the world. No, no. I mean, I've, I've often felt, you know, this, this, this schism, um, within my own, I guess, creative life, where on stage there's kind of a heightened person that fill, fulfills his desires. And then, back, you know, yeah. in everyday life, I, I tend to feel a little more, you know, balanced. And, and um, what, where was your creativity during this point? Because I, I know, you know, you had, you had talked a little bit, maybe there was an early band that you were a part of musically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And yeah, talk a little bit about, I guess, how your creativity fit into, uh, into that picture. Yeah. Well, something that's 
really fascinating too is this monk boy phase happened while I was playing in a band uh-huh. of really sweet boys, some of my best friends. And it's funny that the two states were kind of opposing each other because there's the life of the aesthetic who doesn't follow their desires and they, you know, try to squell the fire within so that, you know, they're de- totally desireless. And But the artist is someone who completely follows their desires. Like they... Yeah. You know, they, they are pulled by their passion, by the fire of creativity. And it was interesting to be in such a, in a space with very creative um, friends that were feeling that path. And I was on this like other path a little bit. And kind of I found that those two, the, the artists and the aesthetic in me were kind of fighting internally. Right. And um, there's an incredible book by um, Herman Hesse, um, Narcissus and Goldman, and I read that at the time. It's the exact dichotomy of an artist and an aesthetic, like having their life paths go side by side. And right. so it's it's interesting too because my music at the time was kind of scripturally too. Like it was very. I felt it, like when I listen to my older music now, I feel like I was just like trying to spout these kind of unembodied truths like at everyone like this is what the truth is so you should believe it but now i'm now i'm like that's just not the way for me on my path like i i want to walk us into the mystery of it and kind of revel in the in in the beauty of not knowing and right to have it emanate out of my own experience instead of some truth that someone told me is is the, the the truth gotcha and well how how does i guess I guess audience fit into that though. Um, you know, depending, mm. you know, the, the material, sometimes I, I, I know like I, I will write something because there is an audience in mind that is going mm. to, that is going to be receiving this, whether it is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a college crowd per se, or it is, you know, a family audience. Um, do you, do you strive to kind of create just from that authentic place, regardless of who might be attending to see these shows or picking up your album, or is that play into it uh, to an extent? Well, that's a, that's a sweet question. I, I feel like I used to write for other people, mm-hmm. um, like in high school, especially. I was in a band and we wrote we wrote a song about like drinking and partying and right. stuff and that's a song solely written to try and like be popular and to try and appeal to the masses. Well, like the quote unquote masses, like what we perceive the masses to be, which we thought was like a drinking partying bunch. Um, (laughs) But I, I realized, you know, that I started to despise the music. It was like, because it was so inauthentic and it wasn't until my gap year that I wrote, I allowed myself to write, for me a song that i would never share with anyone i still never really played it for anyone but it was morbidly sad and i realized like wow but this feels so real to me like this does something to me that then shifts where the audience is hearing from it's it's almost as if i'm resonating with your like if i'm writing a song for who i perceive you to be i'm resonating with your costume um, but if I'm playing a song that resonates with the deepest truth of my being, then I'm touching this space in you that is underneath the costume of who I perceive you to be. And so the only hope I can have with writing music is to write something that makes me want to cry, that, that moves me deeply, that's something that I so deeply want to express. And I know that it will touch you because I know that 
you're feeling things too in your own deep way and and in a way every song you ever write is for everyone because i am everyone and there's a part of of everyone in me and a part of me and everyone and so when i write a song very deeply for myself it's in a way like i'm also writing very deeply for other people in this roundabout way as well yeah. especially if i'm thinking about myth and, and those sorts of things because we share the same landscape in our psyche of these things so you know i think about inana and, and death and walking into that space and it'll make me cry because of my interactions with death and such but someone else too will touch them in a whatever way it will for them too yeah no i, I really like what you said on that of, of yeah. yeah yeah kind of through the costume and then you know that yeah the, the audience kind of finds you in that respect if, if, when you're when you're true to mm-hmm. yourself um in that yeah. matter um I, i'd like to think um also you know you're talking about you know writing you know, inauthentic from a from a collegiate perspective, or or what people are going through. Mm-hmm. You know, to, um, you also teach. Uh, I know, and I guess mm-hmm. you can end up maybe you know performing or reaching those audiences, but from a different mm-hmm. perspective uh, as you as you get older, gain gain, gain more wisdom. Um, can you mm-hmm. talk a little bit about you know the the teaching that you've led into and uh, where that comes into play with your music and um, in life? Yeah. So my teaching went on a very similar journey as I did because I totally went into, you know, my monk boy phase is when I started teaching. And at that time I was teaching truths, like quote unquote truths. And I would, you know, teach about the things that I was reading in these books. And I, I think that's what taught me though. I think in that time I more learned how to, how to hold space for people rather than actually teach. And um, slowly but surely, as I unraveled in my own spirituality and like came off Monk Boy, I started to feel like there's no truth that I could tell you um, that's going to really move you un- unless it comes out of your own experience. So I started to feel like, like I call myself a meditation teacher, but truly I feel like I'm just giving you space to talk to yourself a little bit. like. Right. I, I learned that it doesn't do anything if I tell you, hey, like, hey, man, like, the truth is this. But if I say, like, hey, like, or, or, or give you the foundation to listen to your own truth, to hear your own voice, to tap into your own founda- foundational center, then that's a better gift that I can give you than give you some disembodying truth. So I feel like my my practice now is, is trying to be a lot less cerebral, which Monk Boy was very cerebral and so now I'm trying to walk in a more embodied and somatic way of, of interacting more with the experiences that we have that we don't have words for and that are deeply unique to our bodies and experiences and past and future. And, and you know, it's it's a deeply unique experience, I think, meditation. And I, I don't believe it should be a across the board, like everyone should do this. And so when I teach, I approach it as, hey, like, what do you need to do to really tap into yourself? And because at the end of the day, like, I feel like that's what it really comes down to, what it is. I don't I don't think it's about being people all the time or it's about, like, um, you know, squelching our desires. Or I, I think it's about being fully embodied with ourselves and being truly mindful about who we are and, like, following the pulse 
of our being in every moment. Like, like I'm like one moment I may be upset and like, it's about being with my upsetness or I may be feeling deep joy and I'm mindful of my joy. I'm like experiencing my joy. And so I, I feel like it's just about being with what is and understanding that our best friend is like right here at all times. Mm. And we can always talk to ourselves and yeah. hug ourselves and be with ourselves and, um, commune with ourselves and, and to know what the truth is for us in, yeah. in our own being and world and reality. Yeah. It's interesting since you said, um, kind of when we asked about a belief or practice, you have this stranger and popular within this industry, you know, and you're saying that you don't believe in enlightenment as the goal. Yeah. yeah so yeah. how do you redefine that? How, how do you define enlightenment? How do you, how can we redefine that to be like something that's attainable or something that's, like first of all, how do you how do you define it before, and how can we redefine kind of the goals or or where we're striving towards? You know, I wonder. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Like I'm deeply curious how enlightenment was written about in its original language, and yeah. how you know it's because it's been so translated over the years. So in English. You know, we say, like, enlightenment is being outside of samsara, being outside of suffering, being desireless, and being in attainment with a very pure and happy and joyous state. But I don't believe in, I don't believe the goal is enlightenment in the way that we Westerners believe it to be. Um, I feel like if I were to redefine enlightenment, I would feel like enlightenment is an unattainable uh, point because I, I feel like you start climbing the mountain to reach enlightenment, but the mountain is just getting higher. Yeah. You know, like you, you start scaling this thing, but it like the goal ever uh, recedes as you approach it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just because like, I think that this journey just keeps on going. Like I really think enlightenment is just continuing to deepen our awareness with the ever ebbing and flowing uh, vastness of the cosmos. Like, the, the cosmos just goes on so far. <laughs> and I, I do feel like when I leave this body, I'll be in some kind of different, deeper awareness, and I'll just be continuing to learn there. Like, I just feel like reality is this ultimate school. And it's not about learning things so that we know their names, but it's about, like, truly embodying them and... So I, I feel like I don't strive for enlightenment, and nor do I teach anyone in my classes to strive for enlightenment. My goal, I would say, is just to continually offer ourselves to our deepening awareness of ourselves, the people around us, the way the trees are moving, the way the wind feels on your skin, the way something tastes, the way the garden talks to you, and what plants want to be picked and, and eaten or talked to or prayed with, you know, it's just like ever deepening our experience of being alive. Um, and I think that's the threshold through which we attain quote unquote enlightenment because we're not refusing anything. We're not pushing against something. It's rather, we're like totally surrendering ourselves to this experience of its sorrow, its joy, its, it's uh, perplexing mystery. It's, you know, we're, we're like fully here with it. And I think that's all we have at the end of the day is what's here. And and you'll never not be here, um, no matter whatever here you're in. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think the, here, here. the road is an interesting one. 
Right. Yeah. Um, I want to get back a little bit to the to the classes that you had mentioned, um, and yeah. kind of just kind of format wise, is this is this one on one, or there are a large uh, group of you in there? I tend to think of you know kind of. Somebody, whether you're in front of a crowd, that you're trying to share that unifying experience. But if you're doing, I guess, um, a, a meditation with a, a, a large group or, or a small group, how do you manage different people having different experiences at different times in the middle of yeah. a session? Mm-hmm, for sure. That's a great question. Um, I teach, um, I started teaching in workplaces first. And that was interesting or what am i saying i started teaching in college first actually and i feel like the goal is to is to have people have very diversifying experiences while having the shared experience together so it's like you kind of hold a container for everyone to be all together but allowing everyone and continually prompting them to journey into whatever feeling is coming up or whatever is real and it was fun to do in college because everyone was open to me like really exploring being a teacher and like using weird lighting and weird music or movement and just like exploring facilitating and what that is and but then I I started teaching in workplaces which is a drastically different environment because it's all suit and tie and cold Mm. walls and uh you know the hum of like electricity everywhere and so you kind of yeah, you, you kind of hold the space for people and, and continually affirm to them that it's okay, whatever they're experiencing, because ultimately they know what to do. And I, I find I've never had a trouble with, um, yeah, like differing experiences going on. Um, but it's, it's fascinating, yeah, that you can all be sitting in a room together and it's silent, but someone, for example, will just have a vision of their grandfather and start crying and just feel the some kind of wisdom from them and you know while someone else may be like going over in their mind all the stuff they still have to do today and it's right yeah yeah and, and, and I, I mean yeah i wanted to write that relate that a little to you know music and your music you know you're 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 mm-hmm. in front of a crowd and you know one yeah. song that somebody could be could be crying another could be could be laughing whether it's laughing out of a, yeah. a defense mechanism yeah. or or whatever and uh yeah. yeah, yeah, just having those two simultaneous, and that's when it's the same, I guess, presentation, but just how it how it plays to different people. Mm-hmm. Mm, absolutely, um, right? Yeah, I just yeah. was wondering if, if if now switching off from if you've had that within the music world too of, mm. of maybe a differing experience, yeah, for, right? For sure. I, I mean, like, I think the way I view the the music is to kind of. I don't want to use the word trigger, but I can't think of a better word right now, but it's like to, to trigger experiences and memories and things in you. Like I have a song called ancient grove where I, um, I, I sing about my grandmother and, and just like what's been going on in my life in, in relation to that complexity and that sadness. And what I find has happened many a times is that people end up deeply thinking about their grandmothers if they're in, um, like, critical condition or not, or they're unwell or they've passed. And so by naming something deep in me that often makes me cry while I'm singing it, I give you the validation to feel how you feel about it, too. 
and that's just one example but there's there's many places in my music where i feel like i'm trying to kind of spark um an invitation for you to step into your feeling um your questioning your uh, your autonomy and to really feel into these things um by feeling into it myself so i, I kind of open the door by having my own experience with the music and, and oftentimes i'll uh, I'll, I'll speak a little before I play, but then often it's like I kind of, I feel like I go into trance and I just kind of let go. And I I love the image of wind chimes. I feel much like a wind chime um, when I perform live because I just like, I touch the ground and I breathe deeply and I let go. And then whatever comes through me, I have the maps of these songs, but they're different every single time. And certain lyrics will make me cry. Certain lyrics I forget I even sang. Right. And it's yeah. um, and that that to tie it back to your question a bit, it's fascinating because the transmission that will come through when I play live is different depending on who is listening. It's like it's like the the songs have a wisdom unto themselves. Like music has a wisdom unto itself that I will never fathom. And I am just the wind chime. And if someone is supposed to hear something, I've always felt like I just let the music do the talking and if it's supposed to help someone cry like it'll come through that way for them and i've i've found that sometimes i get into this deep passionate place if a certain person is listening or for example i have this song called my son which is about a father passing away and i was playing with just three folks in oregon once and I just I haven't pl- I hadn't played the song in years but like that song was like knocking on the back of my head and was like hey, like, you got to play me right now. And I was like, I surrendered and said, okay. And I played it. And um, one of the guys there just started crying and, and he had just lost his father. And it was that day and many other occurrences that I just feel like I I just let go and trust that the music will know what to do. And if someone's supposed to hear something, they'll, they'll hear it hopefully from me. Right. Yeah. Well, we are just about at the halfway mark here on the Truth to Power show with uh, with musician uh, James Bird, and we actually wanted to play a track uh, yeah. and let <laughs> let it wash over uh, um, all our listeners and, and us here in studio. Um, mm. You had a preference for which which one at this moment you would like to uh, to have us put through, um, mm. and you have come alive there right yeah i've come alive let me right. play that one um Please. This, yeah that this is the demo i think or yeah it's a demo it's, it's so not done so and i recorded it in my room and it's it uh i went out into the woods so all the, all the nature sounds are field like uh oh yes of the river and stuff great let's uh let's hear yeah that. yeah Sound inside 
appreciated uh the nature it sounds in the beginning actually they, they really added to it i think you know mm. yeah mm-hmm. so that's good yeah i was i was gazing out we, we got a window in the yeah. studio which was nice to you know kind yeah. of yeah to transpose <laughs> while uh while while that was happening yeah. um so yeah t- talk a little bit about that impetus to to use that i mean this was you're, you're saying in the woods you're actually uh recording are you playing as well yeah i mean so what I did was I recorded all those tracks in my room and then had like the guitar and, and vocal down. And then I, it didn't sound like alive yet. I feel like I was singing about like coming alive and letting color in and, and I felt like it was kind of black and white. So I went outside and just brought this field recorder and I recorded the river and the birds and like the wind and my breath and just all the sounds that are life and when i added them all in it just it really did like come to life and mm. and i got really excited I, I have a huge blockage about recording because i find it's very hard to capture what i do and there's not one recording i have that i really feel uh completely proud of which is my own perfectionism and block and then well is that when you're Different from live. Do, do you like a, a song to not? Whoops. <laughs> let me try to. Let me try to fix this now. I think I know what's happening. Did that? Was that a dropped call? Yeah. JB has uh, disappeared. Having a little technical difficulties. Please hold tight. We'll get uh, James Bird back on the line in just a second. Just as we're talking about nature. Yeah. Let me message him, tell him the phone's back. uh, I think back on. 
Okay. Well, we are right in the uh, in the midst of of a fall. Okay, James. Oh. Hello. All right. Just as you were saying, you're you're you're, you're never pleased with uh, recordings, yeah. but but um, but we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna keep we're gonna keep that part in. Yeah. <laughs> it's the beauty of the moment. Totally yeah. <laughs> should. Yeah, it's crazy, you know, because it's like we have so much perfectionism, and and it's so ingrained in us, and. I feel like I'm letting go of it day by day and, and just like letting it, you know, cause it's, it's not in my control. And as soon as I think it is, then I'm screwing it up. Like I have to just let it come through. So that recording is, is very special to me because I had fun. Like I, I didn't get serious about it. I didn't get in my head. I didn't even think I was ever going to share it with anyone. It's just, it was fun. And, um, that's why I, I love that. Yeah. We'd love yeah. to hear more, more like that too. Cause there's, I guess, there's there's both a predictability and, and an unpredictability of nature. You don't know when you know that that animal might make that that noise. You know when the bird might chirp, when the wind might gust at a certain moment. And then I guess yeah. you're gearing it towards the music, but just to to present that uh, yeah. is is fascinating. And and yeah. people might hear a, a different sound each time each time they hear it. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I also wanted to mention. Uh, you know, we met through this uh, manifestation circle that. Uh, our mutual friend uh, Rick Jarreau does, um, yeah. and I was curious about what your thoughts are about manifestation work and about uh, mm. creating the work you love and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, how 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 has that influenced you? How has it impacted you in any way? Um, and how has that kind of yeah, have been out a lot of that to, into the world? Yeah, I mean, first off, I I love Rick. I think he's an incredible teacher and. Uh, just human at, to be alive at this time. And I always feel like, um, yeah, just so grateful to talk to him. He's just such a warm being. And um, yeah, but the stuff that he says always is just so resonant with me. He has such interesting perspectives um, on these things. And um, yeah, I loved that book, Creating the Work You Love. And I've attended his Ananda uh, retreat. I think that's where I met you too. Yeah, um, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's wild. And so... For me, I, I feel like I feel like his work came into my life in a time when I was ready to start stepping into my own truth. It was like right at the end of Monk Boy. And I feel like Rick does that in such a beautiful way of like, yeah, I feel like I learned more from him in the way that he held his spirituality um, more than what he offered. It was like, the way that he would express his spirituality and, and was able to hold that in an embodied way, I think is what really moved me and, and kind of taught me this, this thing that I don't really know what it is. And when it comes to manifestation, um, I feel like it's such an interesting topic. I, I feel like it's talked about so much. Um, and especially in like this, the spirituality circles and, and this sort of thing. And I feel like, manifestation and, and these sorts of things come about when we're really honoring ourselves um, in a deep way of really truly knowing ourselves. I feel like then the right things come forth to us. Like I, I think, I don't, I don't think that manifestation work is about um, saying this thing in your head a hundred times um, and hoping that it comes true. I, I think it's about looking inside yourself 
and finding what is in resistance to that thing. Like for me, like I so deeply want to create an album and I can't do it by just continually saying, I'm going to make an album and make an album. I needed to shine a spotlight into myself and say, well, here's my perfectionism. Here's my, you know, like here's my, my programming around these things. So I, I think that manifestation is an active process of, um, deprogramming what is blocking us from embodying the future and the, the reality that we want to be living in. Um, yeah, I think it's quite fascinating, truly. And I think we're doing it all the time. And and it's part of the, the journey of life. I, I think it's, yeah, yeah. It's, an, it's an interesting subject for sure. When you think about the, uh, you're keying in on the phrase as above, so below, and as within, so without yeah. that's kind of like the, the the key phrase there because it's like um you know what's reflected within ourselves reflected outside of ourselves and you know we're, yeah. we're kind of inheriting the the truths that we're living in, in the body you know we're kind yeah. of experiencing the truths we're living in the body rather uh or it's in our life so it's like whatever whatever's going on internally is going to be you know actualized in the situations and the situational things we, we experience you know yeah, yeah. So how you came to that? Absolutely. How you came to that realization? And 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 as we've been discussing uh, uh, for the past, uh, you know, whatever forty minutes, we've been kind of exploring slowly that those kind of realizations you had. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I I think. Yeah, I, that that is a truth that I feel in my in my being. I think it was spoken or written by Hermes Trismegistus way long ago, and it sent people on a mad search for the Emerald Tablets and. Um, or, or the philosopher's stone, the, um, and I think for me, I, I feel like that just opens up a, a whole world. Because when I realize that the world around me is a reflection of something within me, I, I walk differently in the forest. I, I hear the wind differently, and I look at the movement of stars in a different way, um, because it's also happening inside me in this way, mm. and. Um, yeah, I think to truly understand the world, I think the the doorway into that mystery is in us. And it, yeah, yeah, I, I feel like it changes everything. <laughs> yeah. So also about um, some of the influencing do- documents or or um, music that influenced you. You mentioned um, as far as documents go, you met Khalil Gibran's "The Prophet." And, yeah. uh, yeah. Tell us a little bit about kind of some, so that, that one and other texts mm-hmm. that have really influenced you heavily. Yeah. Well, Khalil Gibran was like a breath of fresh air because I had just, um, gotten over monk boy, which was so sterile. And I was reading all these scriptures and, but then Khalil Gibran is like, Oh my God. Like I, his writing is just so somatic and, and filled with like the nectar of longing and, and uh being alive like really truly being alive and the khalil gibran's work like it it was the perfect threshold back into oh like it's okay to have longings and to feel into the artist in me and kind of step away from the aesthetic and he was a big influence to me and and i feel like the biggest biggest other influence for me was probably the, the 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 beatles just yeah, I could go on about that for like an hour alone. I feel like yeah. I won't do that for you all. <laughs> yeah. I think we all get it. <laughs> Love the Beatles, though. But, 
Um, yeah, they, yeah, they're just magic. So, an album in particular, though, that that resonated with you? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the day, and, and that's a hard question, but um, definitely, like, a- Abbey Road really mm. spoke to me in this weird way, because it's, like, the closing of such a um, an epic uh, body of work and, and magic that they put out, and you can really feel it in that ending, that this really was the end, and I, I just feel like they opened their journey so beautifully, and then they closed it, like, they opened this Beatles portal that we could all hang out in for a couple of years, and... And but then Sergeant Pepper is just I know everyone says that and I don't even need to get into why it's so magic. I think everyone knows, but it really feels like that was a moment in history that opened this doorway into I don't know, like the, the coming revolution, the the coming spiritual renaissance. Like it, it it feels like they just said, All right, everyone, like it's time. Like there's even that ending with the crazy like crescendo of chaos and I feel like that was just so resonant with the times and still is. And yeah. I, I like to joke that they raised the Kundalini of, of, uh, of our culture in that one song. Yeah. Right <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's interesting. I, I understand there was a movie yesterday that came out where the guy is like, the world forgets <laughs> that. Uh, did you see this movie? I don't know. I didn't see it actually. But, yeah. Uh, that song existed. Yeah. That, that's like, an interesting what, what thought. never existed. Yeah. That movie blew my mind, honestly, because the the implication of that is like, I think the there's this like other this overtone, and this is just how I view films sometimes of like, we are conduits for something that's unheard of and and or unseen yet. In a way, he was like, no one knew the Beatles yet. <laughs> he was like showing people this this music that no one knew but was magical, and I feel like we all do that in a way and. We're like conduits for something that no one knows yet, but we'll like bring it into the world through us. And yeah, I don't know. It's hard to put into words, but of course, of course. Yeah, I understand. Thank you. <laughs> I, I I just listened to a podcast, Song Exploder. Have you have you listened to before? Oh yeah, I love that podcast. Right. Yeah. So they just had um, John Lennon's God, um, and you're speaking about the end of. Of, uh, of the Beatles with Abbey Road. This is uh, after he left the group, and it was just yeah, a fascinating yeah. look at the, the creation of that song. Where there's like, I don't believe in the Beatles was like I think one of the lyrics in, in that song uh, of him yeah. kind of going solo. Um, you know, and then you know that kind of you know reminds me a little bit uh, your your journey when you were performing with bands, and then you decide you know kind of take it on your own and uh, and, yeah. and and be be uh, be into your own your own entity. Um, uh, another question though, I, I wanted to, to kind of, what other mental, uh, health practices, uh, work for you? I know you're, you're teaching, mm-hmm. um, but what yeah. are some other things, you know, you kind of do for yourself on, on the day to day? Yeah, I feel like I try to keep it open. I, I, instead of doing a, a rigid practice that I like kind of make myself do daily, I, I just kind of let, I kind of make the time, I kind of make the container, um, whether it's an hour, and it's usually in the morning, first when I wake up, um, I'll take some of my herbal tonics, and and then I will just kind of move into a day, and sometimes I dance, sometimes I meditate, sometimes I write, sometimes I go straight to music, but I just feel like it's really important for me, um, and I think for a lot of people too, like, just to wake up and feel like... um, whatever is real for them can happen and if it's real to me that i need to sit then i'll sit and if but if it's real to me that i need to sing and move and dance like i'll let that happen too 
I think like practices are good, um, but it's good to have a bunch of them so that on a day to day you can kind of like feel what you're feeling and then let it be. I, I find that when I did a, a meditation practice every morning, I got kind of stale and it lost its power and it lost its like life. And so I then started dancing in the morning instead. And, and that felt really good and, and different. And um, yeah, I think it's good to switch it up. I, I like that a lot. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, you know, like yeah. weightlifting, you know, like you, yeah, you shouldn't just do the same yeah. exercises, you know, every, yeah. every day. And I guess for mental fitness, uh, just the same. Uh, I could see that exactly. being beneficial. Great. Yes. Yeah, thank you. And thank it's you. also interesting, too, because meditation, I don't feel it's something that we just do on the cushion. It's like, you know, like even going outside for a walk is, is a meditation and it's a, you know, a, a contemplation on life and, and interacting with it in a, in a way of our awareness. And so, yeah, I like to feel too that you are doing the meditation, even if you're, uh, medit- you know, even if you're like playing music or dancing, like, you know, you're, you're, you're doing it there too. Right. Uh, I'd love to listen to a, one one more track, uh, if if you don't mind. Yeah, what are you thinking yeah. about uh, Byron Bay? That that one actually had on Spotify. It's got like ten thousand twenty. Uh, yeah. It's got most number of uh, of hits. So yeah, that might be good to listen to. Yeah, to you. yeah. Let's 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 do that one. That's All an right, interesting cool. one. All right, cool.
Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. I really appreciate that. I liked how um, it kind of mirrors the uh, traditional Buddhist uh, meditation about being the sky and being the not the clouds that pass through it, but being the unbreakable sky. So here you say I'm the sun, but it was interesting yeah. how yeah, you similar kind of concept that we're kind of some that even though the clouds may pass through us, we're not um, affected by you know we're we're still identified with the higher source, the higher yeah. state of being that we can maintain ourselves as. Yeah. Yes. His, Absolutely. His, oh, yeah, it's a song straight out of the monk boy. <laughs> yeah. Time. But there's some big, you know, I, I still am very resonant with that. Like, you know, the, the sun is still shining behind the rainy clouds. And yeah, yeah that's, that's very real to me still. Great. Is, uh, is that uh, referring to a, a particular location? Is that in, I think, Australia, Byron Bay, or... Or yeah. out of your own creation of a Byron Bay. Yeah, I was in Australia and I was miserable. I, I was staying at this um, hostel, and for some reason, I just I don't know. I, I was lonely. I was like incredibly lonely, and um, yeah. But there was like a morning where I woke up and the sun is coming up over the horizon, and I just was like, "Wait, like <laughs> I'm not alone at all." Like. And, you know, and this is just, this is a feeling that will pass. And underneath it is this, like, this source that won't go away. And that's me. And, and that's the friend in me. And so that yeah. song comes from the real place. Awesome. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, I just remind listeners that you're listening to the Radio Free Brooklyn, Independent Listeners Supported Radio. Um, thank you for your support. Uh, Radio Free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform, charcuterie and primary literacy, education, free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. So every dollar helps us continue to stay on air and allows us to continue the work in our community. We have 501c3 nonprofit organizations, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please support with a monthly pledge or one time donation at radiofbook.org slash donate. If you're an Amazon shopper and would like to donate in a way that costs you nothing, uh, go to radiofbook.org slash Amazon and, Amazon and register at Radio for Brooklyn as your Amazon small charity. Then every time you shop, a portion of your purchase will benefit Radio for Brooklyn. Uh, if you're listening to Radio for Brooklyn when you're not in front of your, when you're in front of your computer, please free yourself up by downloading our mobile apps for iPhone or Android. Available the App Store for iPhone or Android, or Google Play Store for Android. Um, yeah, and then uh, it's a free app, so you can download it and then listen to music, listen to the musical shows or the talk shows through there. And be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for latest news about new programming and upcoming RFB events. You can sign up at radiofbrooklyn.org/newsletter. Great, great. So any last thoughts, James, as we start to wind down? Mm. Huh. Well, it's autumn now yes. where I am. And I, yeah, I feel like something, just something that's very real for me right now is learning what to hold to when everything else falls away. Like what I can truly uh, rely on upon myself, what truths, what what music, um yeah, like what what can I truly and deeply hold to as as all the colors shift and change and something in me changes and and passes too and I wonder um, what awaits us as we are reborn again in this next season of of life and reborn to yourself and, and a newer version of yourself as the seasons change. So I guess my final thought is I hope that people that are listening will take a walk outside and realize that the changes that are happening around us are, are happening within us too. And to follow its thread and to, 
your next incarnation of being uh, tomorrow in the very next second moment of, of time and life. Thank you for that, James. Uh, yeah, we yeah. both thor- thoroughly enjoyed talking to you today. Yeah, thank you. The, thank uh, you. Yeah, it's so sweet. This was, this was great. Thanks so much. W- where can we maybe just hear a little more of your music, the listeners out there that want to uh, maybe uh, mm-hmm. hear something either live or, or recorded that, uh, that they can get a hold of? Yeah, the, the newest stuff is on SoundCloud um, under James Bird Portal, and that's like all the demos and the newer stuff. If you want to find my older music, um, that's more full band, a little bit more angsty, um, and it's a bit more from Monk Boy days. Um, you can find that on Spotify. There's a few albums there. And But if you really want to connect with me and my work, I would go to Instagram, uh, where I'm at uh, James Bird Portal, B-I-R-D, and that's where you can send me a message or whatever feels good. Thank you, thank you. Thanks so much for being here. And this has been a presentation of the Truth to Power Show on Radio Brooklyn. You can find uh, the archives of our shows at RadioBrooklyn.org slash Truth to Power. And we air every Sunday at 11 a.m. Thanks so much, James. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. All right, take care. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.